back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, we're on our own this week. Yeah, but it's good. You know, we get to talking, so we tend to go on a bit. So it's all right. We have fun. Yeah, and we have a lot to talk about this week, actually. I mean, again, we alluded to it a lot in the last couple episodes. It might feel a little bit like the calm before the storm. It seems all but guaranteed that once that December 2nd date rolls around, all the news is going to stop. <laughs> the whole off season is going to end, basically, right there. No! Uh, no, don't yeah. jinx it. <laughs> yeah, but, but our site won't end. <laughs> and the simulator no. will still be there, and there will still be plenty of reason to speculate about which... Yankees prospects they're going to have to give up for Matt Olson and, and things like that. So <laughs> so if you're bored during the inevitable upcoming lockout, well, come check out BaseballTradeValues.com. <laughs> I'm not as pessimistic as you are. I I, mm. I, I know they're far away, but mm. I have a little bit of hope. I'm an optimist by nature. I'm sorry. I I had some hope, and then the closer and closer we get to the date with, with no good signs coming from either side, I have lost a lot of that hope. I, I I don't think it'll be a super long lockout. I don't think it's gonna impact the season. My fingers really crossed on that one, but I it, I'd be surprised if we didn't at least see you know a few weeks, months, something like that. Um, yeah. I, and again, I, no inside info. It's just reading the room a little bit. Gotcha. All right. So like I said, we have a lot to get to. There have been a lot of well, not a lot. There's been some free agent activity, um, some extension activity, and then. Uh, that entire 40-man shuffle as all the teams went to protect their guys before the uh, Rule 5 protection deadline that happened this week. So a whole lot of action going on, some major, some minor transactions, and we'll get to pretty much all of them. Um, so let's start it off. Let's go with uh, free agents. The Astros re-signed Justin Verlander. Uh, it was reported by his brother, Ben Verlander, uh, and it's a two-year, $50 million guarantee. It was reported as a one-year, $25 million deal with a player option for $25 million. Effectively, that's the same thing as a two-year $50 million deal with an opt-out, so look at it either way. If Justin Verlander wants $50 million, he's going to have all 50. If he is incredible in 2022 and somehow thinks he'll get more than $25 million as a 39-year-old at that point, I believe, 38, 39, yeah, 39-year-old at that point, um, if he really thinks he's going to beat $25 million on the open market, then cool. But for all, for all intents and purposes, it's a two-year $50 million deal here, which um, I talked on a, pri- a previous episode about how I had no idea what to expect from his market and that I would be fascinated to see what happened. And yeah, I am a little bit fascinated to see that it was just that large of a commitment and that he got that second year and that he beat the qualifying offer by that much. I mean, the talent is obvious, but he's old and he was just injured for a over a season. And who knows what he is coming back, but reportedly he looked good in a bullpen session. And I mean, if the Astros are the team committing that money to him, they're the ones that have seen him the most closely um, as he's rehabbed from this injury, as he was under contract with that team while he was rehabbing. So, I mean, they they know better than anyone what his medicals are looking like and how he's looking as a pitcher. So if they say he's good enough for this kind of deal, then, yeah, seems like he is. Yeah, so based on our model... And we're, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt that his health is okay. When we're considering his age, we're considering, you know, the fact that he went out with a, his last full season was was fantastic. And so when you crunch the numbers, you have to say, okay, 
you know, how did his last three full seasons do, you know, and you wait the most recent one, but then you also have to counteract that against aging curves and health and so on. All that said, and his position sort of benefit because starting pitchers are in demand. So you figure, okay, there's a lot of pros and some cons. And so what we ended up with is about fair value for him is 45.7 for two years. So it was a little bit of an overpay at 50, not, you know, is as much of a screaming overpay as some people think because he was so good and he was defying the aging curve already before this. So assuming he gets back to health, assuming he gets close to what he was not, you know, it's not add that out of the question. There was a lot of demands, but apparently other teams agree. Mm-hmm. And there was a pretty clear bidding war that seemed to happen a little bit. There were a lot of teams interested in Verlander, even despite all those red flags, which really just goes to show the kind of premium that the market places on frontline starting pitching, or or at least pitchers with potential to be frontline starting pitchers. I mean, we heard reports of the Tigers, he could go back there, or the Braves got involved, the Yankees were heavily involved, uh, I, I believe there was a report with the Dodgers, a handful of teams there. Um, and I'm sure that worked to drive up the price a little bit too. And, and there was something of a comfort level with Houston that I think helped them out in this, in the competition for him. So, yeah. And, and I, I have no inside information whatsoever, totally speculating, but I have a funny feeling Jim Crane said, Oh, just give me a second here, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's probably what did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I could see that for sure. And uh, for a team that's kind of looking to rebuild the image a little bit, I mean, Verlander's a pretty good guy. So not, not a, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going for here. Not a bad deal by uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to the next big frontline starting pitcher deal, and this one caught a little bit more a little bit more slack, I, I think. Uh, the Angels signing Noah Syndergaard to a one-year, twenty-one million dollar salary, and there's the old adage that there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal from the, from the team's perspective, and I I subscribe to that. I think that's pretty true. Um, but there are some some question marks with the fit here. Um, the Angels will have to give up a draft pick for him uh, because he rejected the or he didn't accept, excuse me, the, the qualifying offer from the Mets. So he will cost the Angels a draft pick. Plus, they already have a whole lot of money tied up in 2022. So unless they're pushing past their uh, unless they're pushing significantly past their 2021 payroll, they're really going to need to get cute to make these last additions because they were they need more than just one Noah Syndergaard to fix that team to get that team into a contender um but between that and he only pitched a couple innings last season and i believe did he pitch at all in 2020 no i don't uh, no, i don't think so nope so that's the last two seasons he's only pitched a couple innings and that was in relief but again this is a guy with frontline potential he has shown it in the past and he's got all the stuff all the makeup all of that and so if you want a guy who can head your rotation then this is kind of the price you have to pay Looks for both of these guys, they're both coming off Tommy John surgery, which has at least an 80% uh, success rate if you mm-hmm. if you do the research. And, you know, most of them come back, which is fine. It usually takes a bit of time to ramp back up, but then once they do, they're, you know, they're generally pretty much okay. Um, so that's what the Angels are betting on with Syndergaard here. On paper, we have his fair value at 24, and they paid 21, so $3 million over. But that's about what the draft pick is going to cost them. So in a, in a way, it's a fair deal when you factor that in. Um, and, you know, obviously the Angels have gotten a lot of flack for kind of being mamby-pamby about their free agent pitching signings, like, oh, Quintana, no, let's trade for Dylan Buddy. Like, I got to give them a little bit of credit for going for upside here because Syndergaard's a guy with upside, you know, so maybe they're trying to break out, out of that sort of mediocrity pattern a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
And I think he's a particularly good fit there, given their rotation as is. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have Shohei Otani there, and he's on a six every sixth day schedule they have a six-man rotation for him and you know if you have a guy who's just coming off of tommy john you don't know exactly how many innings you can expect out of him then a six-man rotation is probably a good fit for him kind of limit his uh limit his usage there yeah all right so from there we'll move on to brandon belt who accepted the giants qualifying offer he was the only player to do so everyone else rejected um but belt as we kind of expected uh, did accept that deal. He's in his mid to late 30s now. He's a, a quality player, but first base only. And those types of players just haven't been paid too much on the open market in previous years. And obviously the fit there is, is very comfortable with the Giants. He's been there his whole career. So it just it makes a lot of sense for him to stick around there. And uh, yeah, it's pretty in line with, with what our, our model says, correct? A little over, so his. I mean, I mean, it's not surprising because we thought we knew he was gonna. Well, I didn't know, but good chance he was going to take it because fair value for him is fifteen nine, I think, uh, based on our modeling, and eighteen point four. So it was a little bit more than what he would have gotten if he'd have been a free agent. So we made the rational decision to take it, and I think the Giants. You know, there's a spectrum. Um, there's a sliding scale. Like if you're around eighteen four, eighteen five on paper. It would make sense for you to, to for the team to give you a qualifying offer. If you're well above that, it's a no-brainer. If you're a little bit below that, it's kind of like, yeah, maybe. You know, like there's a probability there. Well, it's 50-50, 60-40. You know, so like and if he doesn't, if he says no, then at least you get a draft pick. So you've got to work all that out. I'm sure they did that. Um, but they also sort of said, well, worst thing, the worst thing could happen is he accepts it. He's, you know, slightly overvalued, but that's okay. And we like what we have. We had a great year. We're keeping the band together. Mm-hmm. What's the harm in that? So it's fine. And the Giants have all the money in the world. They mm-hmm. just lost Posey to his early retirement. And so I don't think they were interested in screwing around here, lowballing belts, saying, no, we want to keep it at 15 or 16 or whatever. We're not going to push it all the way to 18.4 and losing him over that couple million. I don't think they wanted to mess around with that. I think, like you said, just keep the band together, add to it. Expectations are going to be really high after coming off such a successful season that I'm not entirely sure they can replicate, (laughs) Um, at least to that extent. But Mm -hmm. expectations are going to be there either way, and he's a fan favorite, and so just get it done. Yeah, and to that last point about, like, not, you know, penny-pinching him, you know, the Giants have to be also mindful that they've got, like, four free agent um, starting pitching slots to fill, Mm -hmm. or or either free agent or trade, I should say. But they've got free agents to attract. They don't want a reputation as, like, penny-pinchers, right? They want, Mm -hmm. like be a reputation is oh yeah we'll come yeah yeah we'll pay you yeah yeah it's a good place to come and they do have money so they can back that up so you know it's worth it if he's kind of a lost leader to say okay yeah we're paid a little bit on belt okay let's make a deal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right and then our last free agent signing of the week the brave signed catcher manny pina to a two-year eight million dollar contract um, and then with a club option for the 2024 season uh this caught some people by surprise just because you know he's Manny Pena he's getting a two-year deal but it just kind of speaks to the lack of a catching market it's it's really dry out there both especially in free agency but even the trade market's pretty bad there really just isn't much talent out there available the Braves decided they wanted a better backup than William Contreras so they went out and spent a few million dollars on it and so he'll be backing up Travis Darno, and I think that leads to a pretty clear 
uh, a trade situation for the Braves. They have some needs to address still. Their their whole outfield is free agents basically since they traded for a bunch of expiring contracts there. Um, so they have some needs to address, and now they can trade one of William Contreras or their top catching prospect, Shea Langoliers. And as I mentioned, there's a whole lot of teams that need catchers. Miami comes to mind especially. So makes a lot yeah. of sense, and uh, I expect to see some further fallout from this one. I agree. And I saw that you tweeted, like, oh, the Braves really don't like William Contreras, do they? <laughs> yeah. And I, that was an insightful point. I, I got to say, you're reading the tea leaves here. Mm-hmm. And and it's hard to disagree with that point because they're doing everything they can to not, you know, have him be their backup catcher. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I look for him to move. And I saw, I think it was uh, David O'Brien, the Braves beat writer for one of the publications, um, you know, when he was asked, well, which catcher do you think they would move, Langoliers or Contreras? He said, oh, they'll keep Langoliers. They really like Langoliers. So mm-hmm. I got a feeling Contreras is on the move. Um, and... But from a valuation standpoint, you know, Manny Pena has been really good. He's obviously been a good defensive backup catcher, but he's not a terrible hitter either. Um, like, as catchers go, anyway, he's, mm-hmm. you know... You know, he put up some positive war numbers uh, last year, and I think the year before that as well. So we have his fair value at 8.1. He signed a deal for eight, so it's right on the money pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point, uh, you know, people are grabbing catchers because there's so little available. I know the Yankees beat writers have been speculating on Gary Sanchez's status, and they're looking around and saying, well, what else is available? I know Fangraphs did a piece on this this week as well. And, you know, it's actually the only position where the available – options total negative war you know like you can't get one you know that's gonna actually help your team maybe Jan Gomes is left you know unless you start to trade for somebody who may not may or may not be available so it's a really thin market yeah just for context here the just the the position as a whole league-wide is is obviously one of the weaker ones in 2021 catchers averaged an 89 wrc plus so just all catchers were 11 percent below league average as hitters and in 2021 pina posted a 95 wrc plus the year before only 45 plate appearances but 103 the year before 87 86 so he's been yeah. an average hitter for a catcher and as you mentioned with a good glove has a good reputation for handling a staff so really it's a it's a luxury backup i would say um and then one more point on the whole Langoliers and Wilson Contreras discussion. There's that old adage that there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. I think that was maybe, I I don't know if I subscribe to that one. It's maybe a bit too aggressive for me, but then it kind of morphed into there's no such thing as a catching prospect. I, I buy into that one for sure, because I mean, Wilson Contreras was one of the better catching prospects in the game and he's made his big league debut and he actually got a decent share of playing time in 2021. And just, uh, again, he, he wasn't, terrible by a catcher's standards and 82 OPS plus for him but if they're this set on not having him as the backup then it just kind of shows you what they think of him and so he's only 23 but catching catchers tend to bloom a little bit later than other positions and you know you wonder about how much mileage you'll have on his knees by then and those kind of things so I don't know just a, a bit of a cautionary tale not to say that Contreras couldn't still have a great major league career ahead of him. I think somebody's going to trade for him and be happy with in doing so. But uh, just don't, if you're going to hold a, a prospect close to your chest, maybe not a catcher. Yeah, I, I 
I tend to agree with those points, although there are some exceptions. You know, Buster yeah. Posey obviously had a great career, and mm-hmm. Sean Murphy's doing well, and you know, there's a few others. So, and um, Adley Rutschman, I, I have no, oh yeah, I have no doubts about him. He's he's insane on both sides of the ball. So, obviously, the elite of the elite are always going to be elite. Um, and not saying that Murphy was elite either. He was a little le- little less heralded as a catching prospect, but he above average. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's definitely turned into a quality major league player yes one more point it'll be interesting to see whether william's brother wilson gets moved as well because he's only got one year left on his uh of arbitration with the cubs so he's like a shining sort of hey if you want to catch her let's see if he's available mm-hmm. and it really depends on whether the cubs want to try to go for it and contend this year or not and um i still have a question yeah it's really Contreras. Maybe Gary Sanchez, if the Yankees decide to do so, I, it doesn't seem like they are, but they could. And then that kind of mess in Toronto of all of their young catchers, yeah. Alejandro Kirk, uh, Danny Jansen, Gabriel Moreno, and Reese McGuire. At least one of those guys is almost a lock to get moved this offseason, if not two. Yeah. All right, now we're moving on to extensions. So the biggest one, the Blue Jays extended Jose Barrios for seven years and $131 million guaranteed. And this just seems like one of the safest possible deals you could make from the team side. It's always scary to commit money to pitchers, especially as they enter their 30s. And obviously this could still end up biting them. But the biggest predictor of future injury is past injury. And Barrios doesn't really have that concern in his rear view. He's been incredibly durable. He hasn't missed a start the last handful of years. I believe since his rookie year, even. He hasn't missed a start. And he's been a quality... He's not necessarily a frontline frontline arm where he's not into scherzer bueller territory corbin burns he's not quite there but he is a stud he's a solid uh, 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 yeah he's a solid number two pitcher at least if not better and i think this is very very affordable for him and it looks like the values agree yeah we have fair value at 133.2 and he's at 131 so usually with extensions they kind of split the difference, you know, it's it's not quite retail, you're not playing, paying open market prices. Mm-hmm. So usually there's a slight benefit to the team in terms of they're not paying as much as they could. But this one is very close. It's so close that it's basically a rounding area. It's a fair deal. Um, oddly, my first reaction was, what, he got seven years? Because <laughs> in our, in, is an inside joke, because in our spreadsheets, uh, and pitchers never get more than six. And so I have set it up so that six is a max. And now I have to make an exception. The only other exception so far has been Garrett Cole. Everybody else doesn't get anything more than six, of six years of control. So now we've got another one, which means you can't copy and paste as easily because you got to wait till you get to Bert. Oh, okay. And he's got seven. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> so you're telling me he should have traded that extra year of control just to, to make our lives a little easier. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How selfish, Jose. Come on, man. And it also does include an opt-out, it looks like. Um, Am I seeing that right? Yeah, an opt-out. I am having trouble finding exactly when that After year five. After year five, okay, got it. Um, And that's when, on paper, it starts to go negative. So that makes sense. Because if he (laughs) outperforms, then maybe there's a case. But if he doesn't, then it's probably not an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, again, this is obviously pitchers always scary and seven years as you mentioned even a little bit scarier but if there's anybody i'd be comfortable breaking that six years rule for it's it's probably him yeah you want a durable guy for that long yeah yeah all right 
The Rockies, speaking of somewhat unheralded catchers, the Rockies extended catcher Elias Diaz for three years and $14.5 million. It buys out his last year of arbitration and his first two years of free agency. Um, and that's not necessarily a name that'll, you know, ring any huge bells for anybody. He's no superstar, but kind of along the lines of Manny Pena, he's a quality player. And at, at worst, he's a solid defensive backup, but at best, he just put up a 92 WRC plus for the Rockies. And we just mentioned how 89 was league average for a catcher last season. So at least an average uh, offensive catcher with uh, an above average glove. And, and they seem to like him there. Why not? Um, and as, uh, the values do line up pretty well. It's a $14.5 million salary. Over those three years, we project $15.8 million of on-field value. So 1.3 surplus. So right in line right there. Um, yeah, there's just no no real quibbles to be had with this one. Yeah, and like I said, there's a little bit of a team benefit to making an extension because mm-hmm. you're not paying retail, so it splits the difference a little bit. And again, you know, like we said, the catcher market is thin, so okay, the Rockies like locked up their guy too. Good for them. Mm-hmm. And then last one here. This isn't an actual extension, but it's it's a fun one to start thinking about. Uh, we've heard a lot of rumors back and forth about the Rays and extension talks with Wander Franco. Um, the offer that we've heard about from the Rays side, the first offer, which is, I believe, only reported by one outlet and not entirely confirmed yet, um, but it was at least 10 years in length and somewhere in the 150 to $200 million range. So the, the contract that's being kind of compared to for a player so early in his career and so young, and as a former super prospect, it's being compared to the eight-year, $100 million contract Ronald Cunha Jr. signed. But I think it's it's consensus that he's going to beat that deal because that deal was massively, massively underpaying Acuna. And, and it's, it seems inevitable that at this point, I mean, all of the leverage is on the Rays' side, really. Um, there's no way he's going. Franco's going to get fair value on this extension because we have his adjusted field value for his next six years at 271.5 million because he's just such an uber prospect and so young and he has performed at the big league level at such a young age he plays a premium position he does everything and it's he's just such an incredible player that his value is that high at 271.5 already um and there's no way he's getting $271.5 million over the next six years from the Rays. That's not happening. It's going to be a 10, it could be a 10, 12 year deal and still not reach that mark just because of how MLB's payment system works. There's no pressure for the Rays to pay him any more than league minimum the next three years if he doesn't sign an extension. So definitely not going to get fair league value there, but I do expect him to beat that eight year, $100 million contract for sure. Um, especially if the first offer is already a, ahead of that figure. Um, yeah. And, and it seems like the ball's in his court now. He's going to counter offer, and we'll see where things go from there. It's it's a really interesting. It must be a tough call for a guy like him. I mean, he just turned 21, I believe. He's a 20-year-old for most of the season, right? Mm-hmm. So he's barely able to drink, and he's being offered life-changing money. You know, and, you know. He hasn't turned 21 yet four more months he hasn't so he's still 20 (laughs) okay so you know and 
I mean, uh, this is obviously huge and, and life-saving, life-changing money right now. So, like, do you, it's like door number one and door number two. Like, okay, secure, life-saving money, and you may be able to get a little bit more on the back end if you if you sign a ten-year deal and you're 30 or 31 when you hit the market again. Okay, you get a little bit more if things are going well. If not, you've guaranteed yourself to get injured. You've got you've still got your your money set up for life. The downside is, you know, you could get even more if he waited. If he's 20 right now and he's got six years of control, he's going to be 26 when he hits the free agent market. And then, oh, my God, imagine what it's going to be like in the, at that point. So he's given up a lot of potential, you know, uh, mm-hmm. gold pot of the rainbow money there um, if if he takes something like this. Obviously, the Rays are interested. The Rays love to do this because they're all obviously very value conscious. So they're getting a guy, you know, who's already worth 271 over the next six years. And they're saying, okay, we'll, we'll pay you less than 200 for the next 10 years. That's a good deal on paper for them, and they love that. So mm-hmm. if they can meet in the middle, convince him to, you know, take life-changing money now, with the pitch that, hey, if he gets injured, you're still getting paid. Yeah, he's got to think about that. Mm-hmm. And 10 feels like a, a pretty comfortable number as far as years go, yeah. uh, because that does put him back on the free agent market at age 30. And, you know, it's, it's obviously his prime is well behind him, but he's also locked in a lot of money. And he's still, if he is anything near the player that he looks like he's going to be, he's still going to have value, at least into his early 30s. Teams are going to want him. Um, so he could set himself up for another decent payday there. I'd say if it goes any longer than 10 years, there's going to be an opt-out in there somewhere. Because once you start to get into 12, 13, 14, then you're looking at this is the big one. This is the only big contract I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to want, and out there just in case things go better than they could go and and he is a, a superstar still at age 29 and getting you know 20 million or whatever his contract is guaranteeing him while the rest of baseball salaries have inflated so much that 40 million is going right for a player of his caliber or something like that so um if it is much longer than 10 i would expect an opt-out just based on the way his timeline looks as a 20 year old right now yeah that's a good point and even so imagine he does take it and he's a free agent at age 30 at that point he probably have lost a step maybe moves off a shortstop but his bat seems like he's going to carry and so maybe he's a still a decent hitting third baseman at 30 at that point so you can imagine him still getting paid he's basically money manny machado is today imagine that you know and and manny's still good so that's you know, so, you know, I, that's that's an encouraging point to say, OK, I can take 10 years to your point, maybe with an opt out or two um, and still be on the field free agent market as a 30 year old third baseman. That's not terrible. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. His his plate discipline and his contact, it's 7.8 mm-hmm. percent walk rate and 12 percent strikeout rate as a 20 year old in his rookie season in, in the big leagues against mm-hmm. in, in the middle of a, a division race. It's insane. 12% strikeout rate, but with power and with solid contact, he's not just David Fletcher up there. He's he hits the ball with authority, and this is a 20. This is one of the most advanced approaches we've seen from a guy that young. It's it's a little reminiscent of Juan Soto, obviously a little less power there, but it's insane. There's a reason Fangraphs has an has an 80 future value on him in general, and then an 80 future hit tool. It's pretty clear. He's, he's a special talent, a special bat, and that's the kind of thing that will age pretty well, that kind of discipline. Yeah, exactly. Okay, last bit of news here before we get into our trades of the week is finally the Mets got their man, 
it wasn't necessarily the first one any of us had on our minds. It probably wasn't within the first 10 that we had on our minds. Uh, Billy Epler, new Mets general manager. What do you think, John? I'm okay with it. I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, I know people are poo-pooing it. Like, it's a settle. Like, they couldn't get anybody they wanted. So they settled for a guy who's, you know, he's already had tried and didn't work out too well. I I look at it a little bit more positively. Look, he had a tough owner to deal with in Mar- Artie Moreno, and it must have taken some skill to manage up there. Um, and Artie's a very tough owner to work for by all by all accounts. So some of those are not all. Some of those mistakes, if you call them mistakes, with the Angels were not always on him. Um, he's got big, obviously big seat experience, having worked for the Angels as well as the Met- uh, Yankees before that. Obviously knows how to work with presumably a difficult owner if, if Cohen in fact is a difficult owner he can he knows the ropes you know and and there's a benefit to kind of stepping right in having done the job before at a fairly high level of um, responsibility which is what Alderson looking for Alderson basically wants to wants to give him the car keys and he's the kind of guy like instead of like a junior guy like the guy they were talking about who's like a fourth year law associate or law firm like that's not the guy you you know <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that, that was amusing. Uh, but Billy Epler, at least you can say, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He might make a mistake or two, but he knows what he's doing. And he's going to, and hopefully he's learned a few th- lessons as well. The one thing that gives me pause, though, is on the ethical side. You have the Tyler Skaggs con- death and controversy, which was horrible and tragic. And I don't know to what degree Epler, you know, is, you know, um, to what degree he should be implicated, if at all, uh, in that. But that was under his, um, under his uh, purview um and then you know he also hired mippy calloway after you know and now he's sort of involved in all those things so i don't want to get into all the off the field stuff but there is those things and so i can see where that would give people some pause as well yeah uh, i think the the gut reaction from a lot of people was wow they hired the guy who couldn't build a winner with mike mm-hmm. trout and shohei otani mm-hmm. and i don't think that's entirely fair because when epler joined the angels they had no farm system and a bloated payroll and Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't have money and you don't have prospects, how are you going to build that 500 team around Mike Trout to get him to the playoffs? It's, it's a much harder job than it sounds like at first glance. Um, but what he did do there was he got Shohei Otani to join the team. That was mm-hmm. massive, obviously. He added some, he strengthened the farm pretty considerably. They have legitimate prospects now which is (laughs) something Mm -hmm. and he did make a few shrewd additions here and there good moves you know patrick sandoval was an under the radar acquisition who's really turned out well and we can we can go and go up and down the roster and say oh this was a good one this is a bad one we can do that all day but i think I, i like a lot of your points there getting a guy who can do it a guy who you feel confident that he's actually going to be running the show it's not going to be just some facade in front of Sandy Alderson still pulling the strings here. I, I think they are going to hand over the reins to him. Uh, but also, there was a report um, a little bit before Epler's name came out, but there was a report that really the guy the Mets want long-term is David Stearns. And, you know, it's, there's some uncertainty over David Stearns' contract in Milwaukee over whether his he has another year or not, whether it's a club option or his his own option or whatever the situation is there. Um, and there's also obviously the question of does he want the Mets job? But he's very, very highly regarded in, in, in the industry. This is a four-year deal for Epler. I'd be shocked if he finished all four years of it. 
I'm like really shocked because um, whether it's turns or not, I think they still they want to swing bigger than this, and this is kind of this is kind of a consolation hire. Yeah, and that's the impression, and I don't argue with that at all. Uh, but I think they are going to give him a chance. He's yeah. not just a placeholder. He does have some chops, so they are going to give him a shot, I think. And it's up to him to take it, mm-hmm. see what he can do. All right. Glad we don't have to talk about that every episode now. <laughs> well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Who knows? He could be fired two weeks from now. It's the Mets. <laughs> um, let's move on to our trades of the week. Uh, so let's start out with a deal between the A's and the Yankees, submitted by user CatSkillKid. CatSkillKid. That is a very different way to read it. It is CatSkillKid, not CatSkillKid. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe work on the capitalization in your username there, man. Oh, uh, yeah, you're is, right. <laughs> it is a, a trade between the A's and the Yankees. It has Sean Manaya, left-handed pitcher, going to the Yankees. We have him at $18.5 million in median trade value. In exchange, exchange for three pitchers, uh, Luis Medina, we have at 7.4 million, Clark Schmidt at 6.8, and Ken Waldachuk, 5.2. Uh, so three mid-tier pitching prospects heading to the A's in exchange for two years of Sean Manaya. Um, this one's got three thumbs up, four thumbs down on the Yankee side, three up and eight down on the A's side. So what do you think here? So I think Manaya, it, it's about right in terms of you know, value sort of package, if you will, the tiers. Like, I could see him going for three mid-tier guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a plus. Uh, I think the valuation makes sense. I think the – I don't think the A's would necessarily want three arms. Like, a three three arms in one, that is a little bit unusual. They'd probably want a slightly different mix there, One at least one position player. But overall, I mean, I think it's close. I mean, the one thing I – mean, each one of these guys has knocks on the Medina – I think is entering his last option year and he still has control mm-hmm. issues. Clark Schmidt has had health issues and he's not viewed anymore as like a top of the rotation starter. So he's probably a middle guy at best. And Waldachuk, um, his, his been, um, his value has been growing and he's been getting better. So, but he's not quite there yet. So it's like, yeah, it's a mixed bag of three guys, but John Manaya, you only got one year and he's, He's a two-ish, three. You know, he's a solid starter, but not an ace as well. So, and I, but I could see him playing well in New in New York because he has an engaging personality. He's not afraid of the big stage. I can see him being a fit for that reason there for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I misspoke earlier. I said he had two years. Yes, he only has one year of control remaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I think there's there's reason to believe that the A's like like you mentioned wouldn't want three pitchers coming back, and that you know they might have issues with Medina and Schmidt. Uh, but I personally think the bigger holdup might be on the Yankee side here. I think they're probably aiming a little bit higher than Manaya. Who, he's a very good pitcher, but I think they might be, if they're dealing with the A's, they might be more interested in a Bassett or a Montas, who are just a, a bit better than Manaya, higher upside there. Um, and at the deadline, there was a report that came out that the one one of those names that they just would not budge on, would not trade, was Waldachuk. So I think they hold him very highly. They think he's the next up-and-coming pitching prospect in their system. So I'm not sure he's a guy they're willing to move, especially in a Mania deal for a pitcher that might not be quite as talented as some of the other options they could they could target. Fair enough, but it's an interesting conversation starter, at least. Yeah, yeah, and obviously right now a lot of the buzz is centered around Olsen to New York, and I don't, I don't fully expect that to happen within the next two weeks before that December 2nd soft deadline. Um, could obviously happen once we return from a possible lockout, but yeah, I mean, there's I a, 
Sorry, there's there's yeah, there's been a lot of chatter about that. Um, journalists have been posting. I know Yankee fans on Twitter have been going a little nuts about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, as we record this today is Matt Olson's wedding day, so I think that yeah. was a bit of a driver. Like, oh, let's make sure he's settled before he gets married, and now he's you know, you don't want to distract him on his honeymoon, so like let's wait a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, and it sounds like it's taking its time to play out, whether it's mm-hmm. Olson to the Yankees or somewhere else. But the Yank, there was a report from John Hyman that. Uh, the A's are quote shooting for the moon in terms of package value for him. So, mm-hmm. as you would expect. So. Um, so it's going to cost more than Miguel Andujar and the DFA <laughs> Clint Frazier. Sadly, Yankee fans, yes. Sorry, that that one's gotten a little tired, but. Yeah. I, I, one more for good measure now that Frazier's <laughs> Frazier's gone. We'll be getting to that one a little later. Um, but first, uh, thank you, Cat Skill Kid. <laughs> I said it right that time. That's Catskill that Kid, the Catskill Mountains, you know, the resorts and all that. Ah, yeah. that makes more sense. Yeah, okay, I get it now. <laughs> um, thanks for the submission, and let's head on to our second trade of the week. We are staying in the Bay Area. This one's between the Giants and the Reds from user Cole Mitch 22. Has the Giants acquiring right-handed pitcher Sonny Gray, 28.3 million dollars median trade value, in exchange for. Uh, in exchange for Helio Ramos, 22.1 million outfield prospect, Sean Jelly, 3.3 million, and Casey Schmidt, 2.6 million. Uh, Jelly, a right-handed pitcher, and Schmidt, a third baseman. So it's it's a strong headliner for Gray, plus two lower-ranked prospects. One of them, Jelly, who's pretty close to MLB ready, could backfill a little bit for uh, for Gray for the Reds. And I mean, the Reds are pretty clearly also in cost-cutting mode. They uh, DFA'd Wade Miley. They traded Tucker Barnhart just to get out of both of those options and buyouts. Um, so it seems reasonable to, to expect them to continue to try and get creative to bring that payroll down a little bit. Um, and Sonny Gray is one of those top mo- top names. He's earning $22.2 million over the next two seasons. And on the wrong side of 30, now might be the time to cash in on that chip. So I like it for them. And as you mentioned before, the Giants lost four pitchers from their starting rotation to free agency, and so this seems like a decent way to uh, to replace one of them, although I'm not sure they'll want to... Ramos is one of their bigger trade chips. I'm not sure they'll want to fire that um, quite yet, but this does make some sense. I think it makes a lot of sense, and the more I looked at it, the more I thought so. Um, keep in mind, Gray is obviously former Oakland A's pitcher, so has a lot of experience from in the Bay Area. Farhan Zaidi was with the A's at that time, so they know each other. Um, so I could see him being a guy that Zaidi would target as a kind of an old favorite. Um, I'm not sure why Reds fans, if they are indeed Reds fans with the down votes on the Reds side, because it seems like it's a good package. I mean, they've got a, a guy with a lot of upside in Ramos here. Um, and, you know, a pitcher who has at least a floor as kind of a back-end starter. And I'm not sure what we have yet in Schmidt. I think he's a little bit on the young side, but presumably there's some upside there. It seems like it's a decent package for a guy that you're probably sh- shipping anyway. So, like you said, he's on the side of 30. He's making 10, 11 a year for two years. I think it's a fair deal for the Reds. Yeah, I don't mind it from their side at all. I think it. Uh, I, I think if you can... Get out from Gray. Not not get out from Gray. He's obviously not a sunk contract, but if you can trade him without eating any salary and get the kind of upside you're getting in Ramos, I think mm-hmm. you should you should jump on that. And I think the Giants make a lot of sense as a as a target there. But the Giants, as you kind of alluded to before, they will have to be smart about managing their resources. Um, they have plenty of money and so it might be more attractive for them to focus their um, 
focus their rotation additions on the free agent market um, and maybe use prospects to address else address needs elsewhere. Um, and there's even the possibility uh, that's been kind of floating around that Joey Bartz, who is the logical replacement for Buster Posey, that maybe not. Maybe his stock has fallen pretty considerably in recent years, so maybe they flip him to one of those teams desperate for a catcher and look for a different solution there. And so if, if this is obviously very speculative, but if they were to take that approach at all, um, I think they'd rather hang on to some of their prospect trade chips to address that need. Yeah, that's a good point. But, you know, as is, uh, all thing, all other things sort of out, not considered, if you will, this is a fair mm-hmm. deal on paper for both sides, I think. Yes, yes, definitely agree. All right, so thank you again for the submission, Cole Mitch 22. Those are our trades of the week. And now let's head into the meat and potatoes of this episode, all of those 40-man decisions that happened these last couple of days. It, it's a lot to track. A lot of names going in a lot of different directions, players getting added, players getting DFA'd, players getting traded, a whole lot of stuff. Um, do you want to just start with the trades and then go from there into some of the DFA's, some of the protections, that kind of stuff? Does that sound yeah, good sure. to you? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's first go back to about a week ago when the Brewers acquired infielder Mike Brossow, uh, $1.6 million in median trade value, from the Rays in exchange for right-handed pitching prospect Evan Reifert, who we had at $0.5 million. So this one is accepted by the model. Um, there's obviously a little bit of a gap there, and Reifert just came off a pretty strong minor league season. So obviously there's some potential there for once the new prospect evaluations come out for him to move up just a little bit um, and make this even closer. But as is, it's still accepted. And Brasso, as we're going to be talking about a lot uh, right in this episode, uh, was a victim of the Rays' 40-man roster crunch. And it seems like every season they have, you know, five, six, seven guys they need to protect from the Rule 5 draft because they're just so good at drafting and developing and trading for talent. And so to protect those guys on the roster, they either need to trade them to a team in exchange for a younger prospect and so they can so they don't have to worry about the 40-man spot, or they need to clear out some of the fringe from their roster. And Brosso, Brasso excuse me, was one of those guys. Yeah, and I think um, the the Rays fans on our site totally get this. They're really in sync with what's going on with the front office and play along, and so they weren't surprised at all. Um, you know, you'll notice a lot of these Rays trades to clear space. You know, everybody knows when a team has a roster crunch. Everybody knows that, you know, they're going to maybe get a good deal on the other side of the trade, and the Rays know that too. So, you know, and in a bigger picture, they do just fun because – you know, they have kind of this whole model. It's like the next man up model, like you, like you said, six or seven guys every year to, to bring onto the 40 because their whole thing is try to win with cheap guys so that are in their pre-RB years and a little bit in their RB years, when no, but not much more expensive than that. So that means they have to shuffle off six or seven guys every year who are sort of, you know, arbitration-ish, and Brasso fits that, that bill for a guy who isn't, and that's Ryford in his case. So, and other ones, is other moves they made fit that profile as well. Mm-hmm. And we'll actually transition into another one right now. When this was on 40-man uh, deadline day, uh, the Athletics acquired right-handed pitcher Brent Honeywell, who he had a $0.7 million in median trade value, from the Rays in exchange for just cash considerations. And so Honeywell has fallen very, very far. Former top prospect. Yeah, has fallen very, very far. Excuse me. Uh, former top prospect and just missed years with injuries. I believe he's had four significant surgeries mm-hmm. on, on his arm in the last four years, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did finally make it to the big leagues in 2021. 
and he had a, a fairly healthy 2021 season, especially by his standards. Um, but also the stock has definitely fallen. He's going to be 27 this upcoming season and doesn't really have any significant major league track record. Um, the, the stuff is pretty clearly taken a step back after all of those injuries. Um, so he was, he was not going to stick on the Rays roster. They were, he's out of options. He wasn't going to make their team next year, and he was standing in the way of some more promising prospects. So he was definitely headed somewhere. And the A's, on the other hand, whether they're cutting costs or not, they do have – well, it seems, it seems confirmed that they're cutting costs. But whether they're rebuilding or not, they do have a whole bunch of 40-man spots open after a lot of older free agents walked. And – you know, they have bullpen openings. They need some pitching depth. Either way, he slots in somewhere in that pitching staff, and he's a no-risk, high-upside addition. So, it, again, just makes all the sense in the world on both ends. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a flyer. The A's are taking a flyer. I mean, you know, the Rays have no room for him. He's out of options, like you said, and four surgeries is just horrible. But the best predictor of future injury is previous injury, as we all know. So chances are... He's probably not going to stay the, the healthiest. You know, the A's know that as well. But look, it's a no-cost pickup for them. Um, and Billy Bean loves pedigree. Remember when he traded for Drew Pomerantz way back, mm-hmm. you, you know, eight or ten years ago, whatever. He was a former top you know, pitching prospect and kind of hit the skids. You know, he likes to see if he can kind of get some mileage out of those kind of guys. So it's a total gamble, but it doesn't cost him anything to do it, so why not? That was actually eight years ago. There you go. Call on that. That was right before the 2014 <laughs> season, because the 2014 season is when Drew Pomeranz punched a chair and <laughs> broke his hand and led to the downfall of the 2014 A's. But that's not what this podcast is about. Uh, but yeah, it seems pretty likely that Honeywell will slot into either uh, maybe they'll transition him into a bullpen only role or he'll be more of a swing man, whatever. It doesn't seem like they're going to expect him to start. Uh, three games a year right off the bat because that's insane but but it's interesting to have him join AJ Puck in that bullpen as two former high pedigree guys who have just been had their injuries pretty much destroyed by by injuries to uh, excuse me their careers pretty much destroyed by injuries up to this point um and try and see what the A's can get out of them here as they kind of as they run out of options remaining and get into their late 20s so uh, interesting comparison there between those two. Yeah, and they're both probably relievers at this point because they can't seem to handle the workload, if at all. Yeah. So, you know, good luck to them if they can. Mm-hmm. All right, last raise one, I promise. The Guardians acquired right-handed pitcher Tobias Myers at $0.8 million in median trade value from the Rays in exchange for infield prospect Junior Caminero, who was not in the, in the system at the time of the trade, but he's been added, and we have him at $0.7 million. So, again, a fair deal. And Myers is one of those guys that the Rays decided not to protect. They would have had to open up another spot for him. And so instead, they traded him to the Guardians, who did protect him in exchange for a much younger prospect. I believe Caminero was in the Dominican Summer League this year, mm-hmm. so yeah. low, low minors. Uh, but with a lot of upside, he had a very good season. And so they're really kind of kicking the can down the road. They won't have to protect Caminero for years and years and years. Um, and it was a bit curious to see the Guardians making an addition like this uh, since we've talked before and you've written about their 40-man roster crunch, we'll get more into some of the decisions they made on 40-man day. Uh, but it was it was interesting to see them add yet another name to that mess of a 40-man roster situation that they already had. I think it was a good deal. It was too good a deal mm-hmm. for them to pass up. And uh, they made another trade with the Rays. Yeah, for the Luplo deal, they got uh, – I'm trying to remember his name. 
um, another pitcher that they liked from the Rays. <clears throat> um, so I think they're using this sort of pipeline, as, if you will, for, for getting younger pitching prospects. And the Rays, just like we talked about, just, you know, a guy that's either on the 40 or, or needs to be added to the 40, you know, they're, they're cutting the roster there to get another young guy who doesn't. And that's their, that's the way they roll. That's their pipeline. Um, <clears throat> All right. And then we have two more 40-man trades here. So the Phillies acquired right-handed pitcher Nick Nelson, who we had at zero in trade value, and catcher Donnie Sands at $1.1 million from the Yankees in exchange for left-handed pitcher Joel Valdez at $0.7 million. He was added, and, and that is his new value. And TJ Rumfield was also added to the system and is now at $0.2 million. So again, a fair trade here. Nick Nelson was a non-tender candidate for the Yankees. Donnie Sands was on their 40-man. Both of them were on their 40-man, and the Yankees had players to protect, so they traded them away in exchange for Valdez and Rumfield, who did not need to be protected yet. Mm -hmm. um, and meanwhile, the Phillies add the Phillies had kind of a, a wide-open spot behind JT Realmuto at catcher, so they added a couple guys. We'll get to that one in the next trade, um, but a couple guys to compete for that backup spot with uh, prospect Rafael Marchand. So mm -hmm. makes some clear sense on both ends yet again. Yeah, it does. And of course, Phillies are always struggling for bullpen help. Not to say Nick Nelson's going to help them all that much because he mm -hmm. isn't very good at the major league level, but uh, it's a flyer. And the Yankees just needed clear spots, and they got two guys who obviously are younger, didn't need to be added, so it makes perfect sense from that point of view as well. So, you know, Brian Cashman working the phone when he's out there in his sleeping bag on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and, and Dave Dombrowski on the other end. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. And then last trade here, once again, the Phillies, and once again a catcher. They acquired catcher Garrett Stubbs at $0.2 in median trade value from the Astros in exchange for outfield prospect Logan Cerny, who we had at $1 million. Um, so not quite as even, but still well within our margin of error, still accepted. And I've personally had a bit of a prospect crush on Garrett Stubbs for a few years now. I know I, know I just talked earlier about, oh, no such thing as a catching prospect, whatever, but he's... A left-handed hit, a left-handed hitter at catcher, which those aren't super common, and he's got a decent glove, and he really just hasn't had an opportunity to show what he can do at the big league level because he's been stuck behind uh, Martin Maldonado prim primarily, but also Jason Castro, and then uh, the Astros do have another bigger catching prospect coming up in Corey Lee, mm -hmm. so he really was had no avenue to playing time in the future, so made sense for them to get him off the roster and it makes sense for the Phillies to take a flyer on him. And I, I think this one will work out pretty well for them. I, I like this one for them. Yeah. And Stubbs is sort of like that Contreras situation we just talked about in Atlanta mm -hmm. where he had two guys above him and another coming below and he was the one squeezed out. So, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I have not much else to say on this one. I just, mm -hmm. I think it makes sense though. All right, let's, <laughs> So now we have all of the various DFAs and protection type news. Uh, I think the most obvious place to start is, is as usual, the Yankees. Uh, they DFA'd Clint Frazier, as we mentioned earlier, and Ruvnet Odor, who we both had as, uh, both of whom we had as non-tender candidates, um, especially with Frazier's defensive issues, with his issues with uh, concussion, vertigo, etc. Um, unsure if he's healthy and when he will be healthy and what he'll look like when he is. And then Ruben Odor, he he's obviously has his flaws as a player as well. Uh, but then the one that wasn't quite as expected by Yankees fans especially, but just in general wasn't quite as expected, was Tyler Wade, who at $0.7 in median trade value, I believe he was entering his first year of arbitration and out of options. Um, but, you know, a, a decent bench type, plays a lot of positions, 
uh, very fast, and and just one of those guys that every team likes to have someone like that on their bench. So I wouldn't be too surprised if he doesn't make it to free agency if some team picks him up before then. But uh, yeah, he he was a bit of a surprising cut over guys like Miguel Andujar who are still on the roster. Um, it's still there's still a couple weeks between now and the non-tender deadline, so I still don't expect Andujar to make it past that one. Mm-hmm. But the order there a little bit surprising. Yeah, so I believe the Yankees 40 man is is full. Is at 40. So, and you know they're shopping for a shortstop um, and probably another pitcher, maybe a center fielder, maybe a first baseman. So they're going to make some more changes, which means those guys who are on the bubble of the towards the tail end of that 40, Andujar being one of them, are probably going to get moved. It seems like a no-brainer to think that. You know, I we don't think he has any trade value because he hasn't shown anything at the major league level since that that debut year. That was a long time ago. Um, so, and then other people have speculated that um, the National League might get the DH, and maybe that opens up a trade partner potentially for Andujar on a National League club. Who knows if they see him as DH? But that's really speculative because it's going to be a while before we know that, especially if there's a lockout coming. So you can't really decide that on there. In, in any case, I don't want to spend too much time on Andujar. I don't think there's any value there at all if they get something fine. Uh, to your point about Tyler Wade, uh, yeah, but you know he is one of those guys who just like he's a out of options utility guy who aren't very valued by the market you know they're very easily replaceable i know they like him so they might mm-hmm. just find that it was just a temporary situation and then they'll re-sign him you know after the dust clears i suspect that will happen but interesting side note they also remember um gave up on tim locastro now he's been injured but those were the two fastest guys on their team and right. everybody's criticizing the yankees for being kind of lumbering bats that can't run you know and here they are getting rid of two they're only two fast guys you know so what do you do mm-hmm. yeah that's i think they're headed to an interesting spot right now i have uh, i'm working to pull up their uh, roster resource page as well hat tip to our last episode's guest john becker um but they have a as you mentioned their 40-man roster is full um, and I have your article pulled up here of non-tender candidates, which hasn't quite been updated to reflect the moves from this last week, but I'm assuming will be in the near future. Um, and so the Yankees, the only players that they haven't already cut bait from on this list, because they've already Darren O'Day, option declined. Rhett Gardner, option declined. Greg Allen, waived. Clint Frazier, DFA'd. Tim, Tim LoCastro, waived. Nick Nelson, traded. Rudin Odor, DFA'd. Uh, Andrew Velasquez waves. So the only guys left on this list that you had pointed out as potential non-tender candidates are Albert Abreu, Juan B. Peralta, Gary Sanchez, and Miguel Andujar. And they have a, four, a full 40-man roster. They need to make all those additions. They at least need a shortstop and a few pitchers. But the only guy that they're really for sure moving on from from this list is Miguel Andujar. It, I could see them keeping a Bray or Peralta, or at least wanting to keep a Bray or Peralta, because you know you need some depth arms sometimes. And I think they are pretty committed to Gary Sanchez, even though his value is close to zero. So they're getting into a spot where they're gonna need to include some of these 40-man guys that above these above this level, 40-man guys with value with talent. Uh, they're gonna need to include them in their trades, or they're gonna have to start cutting guys who still have some positive surplus value. Yeah, exactly. Um... So speculators are going to speculate that if they make a trade, let's say it's a Matt Olson trade, then they're going to include some guys who are on the 40 in that deal, even if they're mm-hmm. prospects. You know, I think Medina's on the 40. 
Um, Louise Heal is on the 40. Clark Schmidt, mm -hmm. I believe, is on the 40. We talked about that. So there's a couple other guys. Davey Garcia, just added. David Garcia, Everson Pereira. Who they just added, you know. So, and, and they, Oswald Cabrera, I think. Um, so they've got, and um, who am I thinking of? Um, so of their top prospects, um, uh, Oswaldo. There's Oswaldo Cabrera and there's Oswald Perez. They need, oh, to, that's trade one thing, one. Yeah. They need to trade at least one of them because I cannot have yes. those two on the same team at the same time. <laughs> Oswald Peraz is probably going to be a lead piece that they're probably going to trade if I'm speculating because Volpe is their top prospect. They seem to really love him. Dominguez, um, I know there's a lot of upside there. Who knows there? But but Peraza seems like he's probably trade bait. Um, so And he's on the 40. So my point is they can probably clear a few spaces with the trade. And mm -hmm. I can see them doing and that's probably going to need to happen before too many significant free agent signings. If they, right. It seems like they're going to do some of both. They're going to get their shortstop from free agency. They're not trading for him, and they're probably going to get an arm or two. So it seems like uh, they're going to need to move some pieces around before they can really go shopping out there. All right. Um, the next situation I wanted to talk about was the Guardians, since we discussed them extensively in the past, since you've written about them. They, they made so many moves yesterday. They over they turned over more than a quarter of their 40-man roster. Um, they ended up DFAing seven players. It was Justin Garza, Daniel Johnson, J.C. Mejia, Scott Moss, Kyle Nelson, Harold Ramirez, and Alex Young. I believe you had all of those guys mentioned as... I can go pull it up right now, but I believe you had all those guys mentioned in your article as likely cuts. Um, but of that group... Only a couple were, only about half of them were in positive value. And that's mm -hmm. Ramirez, who we had at 1.4, Moss at 0 0.9, Nelson at 0 0.5, and Garza at 0 0.2. Uh, Nelson and Garza are both kind of just depth type pieces. Uh, Moss was a former, that uh, was an interesting ish prospect, um, so he could maybe find a new suitor here, either as a waiver claim or as a uh, post DFA trade. And then Ramirez is one that's always kind of showed up as high in our system, even though he's been DFA'd twice now. Um, so it's it's very possible, if not likely, that um, teams just don't really value him that much as a corner outfielder without much power or speed or anything too impressive uh, in his profile. Um, so they ended up cutting those seven guys so they could add 11 prospects to their roster, including Tobias Myers that we mentioned they traded for. Um, what do you? What did you take away from their level of activity? I thought it was impressive because you don't see that very often. Them like just jettisoning, you know, that many guys in one fell swoop. Um, but you know, after I published that that um, roster crunch article a few weeks ago, some of the Cleveland fans on our site waved weighed in and said, "Oh yeah, and don't forget, there's this guy and that guy and that guy who are probably not going to make it as well." And sure enough, if you put sort of my article along with their input as well, that was pretty much what they did. So there was a lot of sort of chaff to cut from the from the bottom of their of their roster, and that's what they did. And you know, I wasn't sure if they were going to make a trade. Maybe they didn't find a good trade that they liked with all those middle infield prospects. It could still happens um but i think they made the rational choice to protect everybody of value because all those guys that they protected did seem to have either value or were climbing in value like a stephen kwan or a jose tenia that were sort of lower value guys but still had great years and they seem like they've got now some some helium um so so all of those guys are guys you if you're a lower if you're a smaller market team 
kind of like the rays do, you want to protect. And so there was enough chaff that they could cut outside of that, even without making a trade. None of those guys that they cut is really are really going to, you know, um, move the needle for anybody. You mentioned Harold Ramirez. He's been sort of a streaky guy. Um, projection systems really like him um, because he's had some, he's shown some signs. But if you look at his results, they're not really there. So he's kind of split the difference there and say, well, he hasn't done it. Well, they're gonna. He might do it. Well, he hasn't done it. Well, he might do it. And so he's sort of on the bubble there. So it's right. the only one I would sort of call out as like interesting. So I am double checking um, on roster resource right now, but it doesn't seem like they added uh, of, of the names that you listed as prospects over 1.5 million who would have needed to be added this off season. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't seem like they added second baseman Aaron Bracco or left-handed pitcher Joey Cantillo. Right, and um, I just <clears throat> because of that, I just downgraded them as well because you now they're more at risk because uh, mm -hmm. there was some doubt as to whether they were going to be added. But they're both uh, well. In Bracco's case, he's coming off a terrible season. Uh, Cantillo is still sort of a lower. He's in, still a ball, and you know, um, I guess it's a yeah, it's a gamble on the on the Cleveland part that maybe nobody's going to take him based on. I think he's been hurt a little bit as well. So, um, so yeah, so, but you know, the, at this point, the math is such that the probability is higher that they would be taken just because they, they're being left unprotected. So uh -huh. their value has sunk yet again. But it, it is a little curious to me that they would, obviously we have no idea what their kind of trade discussions looked like over the past couple of weeks to try and solve some of these issues, but they really didn't just cut bait with Oscar Mercado or Yu Chang to protect those guys? Yeah, I wondered about those guys, yeah. Yu Chang's value, every time we update it, it comes in aggressively negative. <laughs> we have to like <laughs> reset it to zero because it's like, no, they don't need to... <laughs> it's coming in at like negative three, and that's not going to happen. They're not oh, going to no. pay any team three million to take Yu Chang no, no, no. on league minimum off their hands. That's not how it works. It's no. just he doesn't have the prospect pedigree or the major league performance or really any minor league performance recently <laughs> to bump up his value to even zero. No, uh, he's just depth. Would, yeah, that would be a frustrating one for me if I was a, a Cleveland fan seeing them leave a couple of, even if even if they are prospects with warts, but at least interesting looking prospects, leaving them unprotected so he could stay on the roster. Yeah, good point. Because at least with Oscar Mercado, there's recent major league success that they can kind of bet on. Yeah. All right. Um, that, those were the main points that I had. Uh, did you have anything else to add from any, either any specific team or any players or anything like that? Um, not really. I mean, there were no major surprises. Uh, I'll put it that way. You know, all the guys that were protected made sense. And there's always a couple of sort of fringy relievers. But when you look at them, you're like, oh, OK, they're having some success. Like they may not have been you know, touted as prospects. There's a couple guys we added to the system just because, you know, they weren't actually on any prospect list. But then when you look at their Fangraphs page, you say, oh, yeah, they were in AAA and striking a lot of guys out. So, like, the Mets added mm -hmm. a guy named Adam Aller, who I wasn't familiar with. So, you know, guys like that, that a couple of guys sprinkled here and there that, you know, um, teams are saying, yeah, we could use that guy in our bullpen. So they added a couple of those guys. Mm -hmm. Um uh, the Phillies, by the way, claimed Kent Emanuel from the Astros. A lot of Astros Phillies activity lately. Um, who is um, who is injured right now, but showed some good stuff when he was a prospect. So uh -huh. they're bet they're betting that when he comes back. Um, so that's an interesting one that he could maybe help uh -huh. them. Um, but other than that, you know, there's nothing really. I'm just looking over the list now. Oh, I just want to mention Christian Robinson of the years on a Diamondbacks. Uh -huh. He got into some legal trouble. He's been a lot of uh, he's been you know, 
back up a step. He's been considered a major talent, and he was at the top prospect list. But then he, he had um, uh, an incident where I believe he was, I think it was a car accident. I can't remember all the details. But anyway, he had some visa issues, and then there was legal mm-hmm. issues, and so he couldn't play at all this year. Yeah, so we, it's, a, it's a complicated situation. It's yeah. not one of those where, oh, he was driving 90 miles an hour, and so now we don't know. Like, it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot to this I'd recommend listeners looking into it and not jumping yeah. to conclusions of placing blame or anything like that but yeah you're, you're right to point that out there, there's a whole mess there it is a mess and so he was untradeable basically while that while he was in limbo uh with that mess sort of undetermined uh i just heard lately that uh, recently though that he, he he did um his um, community service time and so maybe he'll be able to be rostered again and so when you do when when the dust clears he'll be back into hopefully have some positive value but we purposely had him at zero until the until that was resolved because he was untradeable Um, because i just wanted to mention that as kind of an outlier case um but yeah nothing else really um interesting that um another name that interesting pops up uh, Mackenzie gore was added to the padres Uh roster as you would expect because he's got still a lot of upside you know, he's had some trouble, um, but they haven't given up completely on him yet. I wouldn't have expected them to, but I wanted to call that out. Um, but yeah, not much else. All right, um, there's just a couple names here that uh, poke out to me on the 40-man roster roundup that MLB Trade Rumors did. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucius Fox was a former prospect who hasn't really done much, and his stock has fallen. The Orioles claimed him from the Royals. Uh, Sean Anderson, relief pitcher. The Blue Jays claimed him from the Padres. They need all the bullpen help they can get. Uh, Nico Goodrum was outrighted by the Tigers. He was a non-tender candidate. He plays all over the field, though. I wouldn't be surprised to see him latch on on a minor league deal somewhere pretty quick or, or even a major league deal with a team like the Orioles or Royals. Um, the Twins did me dirty. They designated Williams Astudio for assignment. I'm not happy with them right now. <laughs> they DFA'd Williams Astudio and brought back Jake Cave on a major league deal and outrighted Kyle Garlick and Devin Smeltzer, and they're making all the wrong decisions. Come on, guys. Well, well wait a second. Wait a second. I called that one. I had Astudio, Williams Astudio on my, in my article there. Yeah, that, that doesn't mean I was happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean, I, that all doesn't right, mean I wasn't hoping for it not to happen. Okay. I, I guess I guess if there's any he, He's fun to watch. Can, it's uh, true. Yeah he, yeah, he can be the A's third baseman uh, once they trade Chapman. Let's go with that one. Um, just scrolling down the list. Not really seeing anything else too major. Um, I know there was one more down here. Uh, the Pirates DFA'd Michael Perez, just one of those third-string catcher types. Um, yeah. Oh, the Dodgers DFA'd Billy McKinney after he yeah. was on every team in the league last season. Everybody DFA's him, so... Yeah, <laughs> you know. so they joined the party. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's pretty much it as far as notable names go. Um, for what, what, transactions. I'll throw in one more that caught my eye, which is um, Kevin Ginkle of the Diamondbacks. Mm. After his rookie year, he had he had a really promising career ahead of him, and he looked like he was a real keeper. But he, I don't know what happened. Maybe you do, but um, he has completely fallen off the map. And we did have him on our non-tender, you know, forty-man cut list uh, article. But so I'm not surprised at all because on paper, you know, he's got zero value. But I just wanted to point it out. Here's a guy that kind of fell from grace i think there was an injury involved there but yeah he just wasn't any good in the shortened 2020 season and he was just as bad in 2021 and so yeah disappointing fall there he looked like one of the top relief prospects in baseball he was unhittable through the minor leagues and then 
just never really got it together. So that could be the type of guy that a team like the Rays could turn around. Um, I'd keep an eye on him. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that'll do it as far as our 40-man stuff goes. And I think the last thing we wanted to go over was what you wrote this week, John. John wrote a mailbag to answer some of our most frequently asked questions. Um, a lot of these questions are things that we touch on frequently in our episodes, or you might have seen us answering somebody about on Twitter. Uh, but John decided to just collect all of the questions and responses here in one article, one nice little FAQ article. Um, so are there any in particular that you want to touch on now and make sure as many people hear them as possible? I guess so. Um, one's, I wouldn't say it's common, but interesting point that we question we always get is the one I lead with, which is how can you reduce everybody to one number? And the answer is we don't. We give a range. It's a low, median, and high range. But nobody ever pays attention to that. They always just sort of gravitate to the one number because it's easier to grasp intellectually, I suppose. So, um, and, you know, of course, we use that in our in our simulator because that's the easiest way to calculate it. And sure enough, that is the most likely probability, the 50-50 sort of outcome. Um, but, you know, we're the first ones to tell you that's you can't it's not just one number there's no absolutes and we're not trying to be exactly perfect as you can see with all the trades and stuff you know we're sort of in the range um and that's the way it is. it's a bell curve as long as they fall within an acceptable range it's fine um another common question is how do you account for market variance one team might pay more than another of course we know that um, we're not going to get into all these if-then scenarios, and that's going to take away the fun for users if we did that. We cannot prescribe possibly every possible scenario. This team could pay more, that team could pay less. You know, it's a barter system, as I mentioned, and so you're going to have some inefficiencies. You're going to have some variance based on the needs of each sort of team. Um, but it is getting more efficient as it goes, and so that's that's kind of what you know our our values are sort of saying. We're sort of like the line makers at a horse race. If you ever go to one of those, there's the morning line, but then you know, there's variance beyond that once people start start betting based on what they think is going to happen. Um, we also get common questions like, why is this guy too high? Why is that guy so low? Um, particularly on the prospect side. Um, you know, I talk a little bit about how, and Josh, you and I know this, when we first started, you know, we were like, okay, what's a good sort of ramp up time for a post prospect in particular? And so we started off with three years and then we found, yeah, that wasn't really right because people were sort of, players were establishing themselves earlier than that. So then we cut it to two years and it seems like it's a lot more accurate, but at the same time, it's a lot more volatile. So you see guys who were fresh in your mind as, hey, wasn't he a top prospect? And then he's going like, hey, Jesus Lizardo was a top 10 pitching prospect. And then he was dumped by the A's for a rental at this past deadline. Hunter Harvey was the top 50 prospect not too long ago and he was just DFA'd by Baltimore. So that's gonna happen more, but it's in line with the way the market is trending. It is like, yeah, it's it's faster than you think. Davey Garcia used to be a top prospect. We have him down at like two point something now. And so Yankee fans are wondering, wasn't he just, that's a big drop. And then the reason is because that's, he was terrible at AAA and we're, we're weighing his time once he started, got, once he got his chance. And so that clock started ticking. And so that, that most recent performance at AAA is dragging his value down because it's starting to carry more weight. So <clears throat> Joe Adele is another good example of a guy whose sort of clock started ticking and then he hasn't quite established himself, so he's falling and falling. But it's in line with what we're seeing in the market. Um, so that those are, I think, the key sort of points. Um, we do take injury into consideration. We get a lot of questions about Byron Buxton. Of course, he's a major talent, but we know he hasn't played a full season since 2017. So, you know, any sort of rational GM is probably only going to 
see him as kind of like he's going to be on the IL for half a year, so you can't overpay for him. And you, even if you see the Twins, um, the articles about the Twins and their extension talks with him, you'll notice that they are very risk averse because of that as well. They're not offering him a whole lot of money, so that's another indicator that injuries do matter in a particular in a in a, in a case like him. Um, so. <clears throat> Those are the main ones. I know we get a lot of other ones, so I'll start to make notes as we get more um, and maybe do another article down the road. Um, <clears throat> so I thought it was just time for to answer some of those. Yep, and I'm glad you did. It's a, it's a nice resource to just direct people to for a lot of those uh, questions. Um, just, just while you were talking there, I was double-checking Twitter, making sure no news had broken while we were recording, and... Uh, I was alerted on my timeline to uh, Williams Astudio got in a fight in the Venezuelan Winter League last night. <laughs> perhaps, oh, man. Perhaps a little upset about the DFA. Um, Venezuelan Winter League legend Williams Astudio, I should say. He was, I think he finished second in their MVP voting last year or something. Hit, he hit 379 down there. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he got the opposing pitcher pretty clean left hook. You don't see that too often. Okay, I don't know. That guy's interesting, isn't he? Lots of ways got forced to be reckoned with. I mean, there's there's a joke in there somewhere about contact rate. Um, I'll I'll let <laughs> people figure that one out for themselves. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much all we have for this episode. Do you have anything else to add? I will add one more teaser. Um, from time to time, we've been asked to, about like trades from the past. Like, oh, can you guys look like value that? You know the Chris Archer trade or, you know, the Tatis James Shields trade or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good old idea. I'll sort of make a note of that and I'll give it to it. Well, I just want everybody to know I finally got to it. So the next article I'm going to publish, sort of a Thanksgiving weekend special coming up in a few days, will be one of those. I'm calling it This Trade in History. And it's about the Christian Yelich trade. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is that a doozy? <laughs> So. I can't wait. I cannot <laughs> wait to read that. I saw I saw some notes on one of our spreadsheets with some of that stuff, and I was like, I'm yeah. what, he's, what he's working on here. Yep. I'm glad we're finally getting to that. <laughs> yep. And uh, I could, depending if there is a lockout coming up, um, I mean, we'll have to we'll have to discuss exactly how we want to handle that. But if there's a lockout lockout coming up, and we keep the podcast going, and there's no real news to talk about, that might finally force us to. You know, start getting into some of those creative ideas that we've been talking about the last couple of years and just never had the time for. And so that could be one really nice silver lining of a potential lockout. I agree. So look forward to those. All right. So unless there's anything else, that will do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe, enjoy the off season, and have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.